All right, ladies and gentlemen, what's up? This is BC. We have another episode here with a special guest on Supreme Being. Um, I know you guys have really been enjoying the interview series. You've been giving me some great feedback, but I have a, a friend of mine who is in California still, which surprises me, right? But we'll get into that <laughs> later. Uh, I met him at his brother's event in Vegas. Cool dude, uh, doing very well in the industry. And I wanted to bring him on because I think he can give you guys a tremendous amount of value. So Arjun, my friend, what's going on? Good to see you, brother. Been long, long overdue, man. Big fan of what you do and the the you know the the uh, the trail that you blaze. And uh, I'm just proud and excited to be part of this, man. So thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. Thanks for coming. So let's uh, let's get a quick introduction from you know the audience who may not know or be too familiar with you, and then we'll roll right into it. <clears throat> yeah. So I've been in the mortgage space and industry for 22 years. Started off in Nevada, which is my home state where I'm from. And then I moved out to the Bay Area just a few years after that to open an office for us where I've been pretty much on and off ever since. Um, I work with my brother, Neil, who's really well known in the industry as a thought leader and marketer. And my sister, Shivani, same thing. She's very big on the female empowerment brand. So the three nice. of us all work together. Uh, and you know we've all got slightly different angles and missions in terms of what we do with our online presence. For me, it's a lot about financial literacy and adding value to all the partners in the circles that we work with, whether it's you know real estate related or financial services, and and that's been it. You know, I a big part of my brand also loops in and ties in my background in martial arts because I competed for the U.S. national team for about seven years, and then I was the co-head coach for Team USA for ten years. I just stepped down a couple months ago, um, and now a dad of two little girls. And uh, quite busy with you know life and work and everything else. So that's my story. I love that man. So uh, originally, what was it? Just expansion that prompted the the move to to Frisco from Nevada, or what, what was that all? all yeah, about? you know, I mean, at that at that time, San Francisco was a very beautiful, uniquely, you know, uniquely configured melting pot where all walks of life could exist, but also not only exist but coexist. And people weren't really ostracized or put into put into boxes like everyone was just kind of out, you know, and it was a great place, whether you were a capitalist or you were a communist or you were what it didn't matter what you were. Everything was acceptable, but it was also a huge, huge opportunity place, you know, in terms of all the wealth that was being created, all the investment, all the capital that was going on and, you know, all the high level conversations that you could have. But it changed over the years. So. I wanted, you know, personal growth for me had ceased in the market that I was in. This was the nearest big city. My cousin was living here. He was working at Lehman Brothers of all places at the time, if you remember that name. And uh, yes. so I would come visit him all the time. He's like, why don't you just work here, man? Why don't you live here? And at that time, it was very easy to move a mortgage company. All you had to do was fax in a piece of paper to the Secretary of State's office and you were fully licensed. Fax, wow. right? I just dated myself. This was 2003, 2004. So I did that and then I just came out, but I would travel back and forth. Of course, strategically leaving my tax residence in Nevada, uh, but spending time here in California. And then uh, I've kind of been I've kind of been here ever since, but it has changed. And I'm, I'm sure we'll get into that uh, here a little later in the talk. Absolutely. Have you and Neil always worked together? Like we have. Yeah. Side by side from the beginning. 22, from day one? 22 years. Yeah, 22 years, you know, we got into the business together and, you know, Neil is the the smartest guy I know. So he was the ideal person to partner with. You know, it was him, myself and one other partner. The other partner got out right around the time of the market crash of 08. And then Neil mm -hmm. and I stuck with it when we had no idea what this industry was going to look like or what we were going to even do. We just slogged through it, uh, tried our hand at some other side businesses while 
while working through this. So we never really left it, but we worked side by side, you know, for all these years and we'll continue to. I mean, everyone's always fascinated how, you know, us as brothers and then even working with our sister Shivani, like how we've been able to work as siblings and not kill each other, but it's, it's worked. And um, yeah, I think it's because we all kind of respect that each of us travels in a different lane and we never yeah. try and cross over into it. And everyone brings something very unique and different to the table. But we all respect that and admire that about each other because we have no one's a bigger fan of one another than we are of each other. So yeah. it's just it's worked. We've been fortunate that way. That's awesome. You know, dude, it's it's rare that I get somebody with uh, like the amount of experience that you have. Like you said, you've been in the industry for 22 years. How did you guys kind of respond and make it through that, you know, 08 disaster and crash? Because I'm sure that had a tremendous impact on you because I know it did for everybody. I saw it firsthand just still growing up and dealing with my parents who had just bought real estate before the crash and how that devastated them. So yeah. like, what did that look like? That landscape look like for you guys? And what were some of the things that really got you through it? Cause most people just, you know, close shop. Totally. I mean, it was a dark, those were dark times. Like I tell everyone in the industry now, like, look, we're going through a shifting market right now. No doubt it's challenging, but I can promise you. And I know some people hate hearing, you know, the whole back in my day or it was much yeah. worse, but let me just tell you, Oh, eight, Oh nine. Those were dark, dark days. And Brian, to your point, families were devastated. The market was devastated. The overall economy was devastated. Parents were having to sell their homes, short sell their homes, not even pay them more. I mean, these were humiliating times. Very, very, very troubling for so many people. You know, that's why it's called the Great Recession. It's got its place in history and in the, you know, the economics books for a reason because of its yeah. significance. You could you couldn't even tell people what it is you did. I couldn't go on like a plane when I traveled, like go on, you know, go on a trip or anywhere and then sit next to people. And I'm chatty. I always talk to people because conversations yeah. lead you down interesting pathways, right? That's what I did with you. You and I sat at the back of that room, started talking to you. We started talking about Argentina, martial arts, life, free thinking, and then boom, a friendship was created. So, but I couldn't even tell people on airplanes or at, you know, on subways or public transportation, what it is I did because they would like get really mad at you. So I kind of had to go into hiding. I'd call myself a consultant, but I didn't say what kind. <laughs> I was yeah. a mortgage consultant, but <laughs> I never said what kind. So the only, the real way we wrote out of it was pretty much through community. Neil and I stuck together. There was no coaching. There was no collaborative groups. There were no online spaces, Facebook groups, things where people could kind of collaborate, share ideas and, you know, kind of tie into community for morale, for support, for energy, for thoughts, ideas. There was none of that. So we kind of relied on each other. And then I hooked up with a business coach who I'm still with to this day. He's a big, uh, he's a big thought leader in the mortgage and real estate space and mm -hmm. does coaching nationally. But I hooked up with him in 09 and I just stayed with him, you know, the whole time. So as a result, um, we were able to, you know, kind of ride things out, even though there was, they were, they were strange times, but I just focused on getting a lot better at bringing something to the table as opposed to just mm -hmm. being a mortgage transaction facilitator, because that's what, Leading yeah. up to 0809, everybody did. Nobody was the secret sauce. The market was insanely hot. Uh, you know, the, when people joke that a dog could get a loan, they're not lying. Like it was yeah. that easy to put deals through. So it had nothing to do with us. We were just kind of standing there and facilitating and connecting dots and plugging yeah. things in. So now I had to figure out how to get good. And that's what it was about from that point forward. And it still is to this day. So what, what are some of those main things you guys to this day are still focused on that really helps like, you know, build your brand, bring in leads and really keep, you know, the, the, the lead flow coming Just, in and. Yeah. It's, it's all about solving problems, right? He who solves the most problems is probably going to get the most business. So rather than thinking about 
anything you do online or anything in your marketing from a self-serving standpoint, just think about whose problems can I solve, which means you need to think a little bit and do some research and put some thought behind, you know, who is what people actually want. What are people scared about? What do they need? What are they confused by? What's holding them back? Whether it's in the real estate space or the consumer space, whatever it is, and then solve those problems. So that's really what we've done. Mine being a lot more financial literacy forward, Neil being very much fixated on the marketing of the entrepreneur, whether solo or part of an enterprise. And Shivani's being, you know, in the female empowerment that, you know, women don't need anyone else to make their own way in this world financially. They can do it on their own. So just, again, having that niche or or that focus and then just running right at it. But it has to be very selfless. You have to be solving problems. You have to be giving, giving, giving with no expectation. And then the business comes and you'll, you know, you'll always be in demand because with all the disruption out there from AI, from fintech, everyone attacking these industries, the person that outlasts is the one who's just so valuable that you can't be tuned out. If you don't really carry any value and you're just a commodity, you will get pushed to the side, right? Like it's inevitable. It's already happening. So that's what everyone needs to kind of figure out. If you haven't already, that's what you need to double down and figure out is what do I bring to this place? What problems do I solve? Because then you're irreplaceable. You're so valuable. They can't tune you out, that they can't replace you, that they can't get rid of you. And then you've got staying power. So if I came to you in that instance, Arjun, I'm like, man, that's a great question. And the answer is I'm not different. What would you recommend that they start doing in order to create their brand and really get that thing going? It's just, I think, figure out, you know, who your audience is. You're talking about as an entrepreneur, Brian, or like as a real estate professional, you know, like who, is that what you're asking? Yeah, either one. Yeah. So figure out, first of all, who is it that I serve? Who is it? Who's my ideal client? Who's my ideal customer? And really go deep on figuring this, like thinking about this, mapping it out, spend some time, days. In fact, it's not a quick exercise. You got to go really good deep. And who are my audiences? What are the profiles of these people? What are their ages? What do they do? You know, what are they? What's their lifestyle like? Figure that out. And then also now start to figure out what are they? What are they worried about? Figure out the psychology of this avatar, if you will. Once you've got these created and you need to be specific like this, because as the old expression goes, when you market to everyone, you connect with no one. So you can't just speak to the masses, you know, and I understand some of our messages, some of the content we put out online, some of the things we say, they are general and that's fine. But if that's your consistent marketing strategy, it's going to fall short. It might create some following. It might create some inroads, but it's not going to be different. So you're going to have to really get specific and speak directly at certain people. So figure out what your customer or your client avatars are, figure out what their fears are, and then start reverse. I mean, they're basically telling you right there, once you've done that, the ideas come very easily. You don't have to get super creative. You already know what to serve them, right? I've got this expression that if you are a restaurant owner and people come to your restaurant wanting hamburgers, don't serve them burritos. They're already asking you for hamburgers. They've got their hand in the air saying, I'm worried about recession, job market, housing bubble, interest rates, affordability, lack of inventory. There's five or six topics right there that everybody is concerned about. You don't need to reinvent the wheel. Speak to those things because you'll start to connect with people because that's what they're searching. That's what they're worried about. And then you can build community that way. So that would be my advice to anyone. The biggest mistake I made in the first two years of creating content was I talked about things that I felt smart talking about, that I thought people wanted to hear about, that made me feel good and confident, but it wasn't connecting. And I did this for two years gaining little to no traction. It was just right around the time, Brian, that I maybe shortly thereafter, I think that following year is when I met you. That's mm-hmm. when I start, you know, started to kind of figure this out. But for those first couple of years, 
I was gaining no traction. Yeah, I was building some following, but it wasn't resulting in what I really wanted, which was impact, Mm -hmm. the ability to help and serve people. They would just kind of be, you know, these uh, very general artificial conversations, if anything, that would happen. And it was good content. It was highly produced, nicely finished, beautifully edited. And I was just scratching my head wondering, why isn't this connecting with people? And it's Mm -hmm. because, again, it wasn't in the best interest of the person on the other side of that camera or device. So Take the time to bring this back full circle here. Take the time to research who your target person is, the types of people they are. It could be multiple ones. It could be many, but get really specific about them. And when you understand who your customer is or who your client is or who your target is so well that you can see it and visualize it, marketing to them becomes very, very easy. It's effortless. But when we just think, oh, let's just come up with an advertising campaign or let me think of something to say, again, you market to everyone, you connect with no one. Yeah, I love that, man. And in in kind of conjunction with this, you're, I would say, more like me in regards to, hey, you know, if we feel like we want to say something, we're going to say it, even if it yeah. ruffles some feathers. Yeah. How do you, in your mind, kind of juggle with that? Because it, it can be like a fine line, we can say, right? Because there's certain things like you totally. bring it up and, oh, man, everybody comes and, you know, attacks you or you start dealing with a bunch of unnecessary drama, right? Like, so is there like a process that you take yourself through saying, okay, I want to bring up this topic or talk about this. Do you have like a process that you say, okay, I'm going to say it this way? Or how, do, how does that look like for you when you start speaking about things that could potentially yeah. ruffle feathers or, you know, go off the deep end, you know? Yeah, I know. It's a really good point, Ryan. And I don't I don't know if there's an exact answer or science to it. It's something that has evolved because I like, you know, take, for example, and Brian talked about this a little bit. I think we were maybe even we were offline. We weren't recording yet. But, you know, I started a new account. The current account I have at at our June underscore mortgage is a new account I moved to about five months ago because I had to leave my old account, which had at one point about one hundred and fifty or one hundred and forty thousand followers. And I got suspended twice because I was very vocal about homelessness and how it was impacting real estate in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. The timing of when I was bringing these things up was during some recall elections here in the city, which I felt, you know, I just wanted to voice my opinion. Now, I never used any curse words. I never even named names. I didn't say this guy, this, this guy, that I was, there was no like anger, vitriol or any, none of that. Yeah, I was just being objective. And I think I didn't say anything that anyone wouldn't disagree with, you know, or that anyone would disagree with that. Hey, homelessness, if not dealt with, leads to a lot of unsavory, you know, things and gatherings, which is going to hurt businesses, which eventually go out of business. And that's going to get people to move out of neighborhoods. That's probably a proven mathematical equation. Like I didn't say anything bigoted, racist, insensitive, but yeah. Because of, for whatever reason, you know, maybe some people complained and, you know, they were like, he's not very compassionate or whatever. The account got suspended. Every time I would come back on after a seven day suspension of violating community standards, I'd lose 20, 30, 40,000 followers. And then I started noticing that my content was being suppressed. And, it, you know, thankfully being able to reach out to guys like you and some others and some, you know, people that have been through similar things were just yeah. speaking up, but not, you know, not necessarily being overly critical, just speaking up, Right free speech is what it's supposed to be about. I decided to switch. So what I've done is, and I still, you know, told the line because look, I, you joke here when you live in San Francisco that you can bite your tongue for so long, but I'm now at a stage where I have no tongue left to bite. Like my tongue's done. Like there's no tongue left. I can't bite it anymore because it's off. Right. So you're going to speak about things. And again, you should, because if you're, if you're passionate about something or you feel strongly about something, you do it, but you make sure you just say it in the right way. And that's what I always 
try and take the time to do. So any piece of top content that we do that we know is going to be lightning rod esque, which for example, I had a piece that I put out a couple of months ago and it, it took a little while and then it just took off and it was about president Biden. And it was about the 1031 exchange program being eliminated in the new budget proposal. So this is going to have a huge impact on real estate. So I wanted to talk about it. And I said in the video, is President Biden trying to wreck the real estate economy or the real yeah. estate market? And then I went into the content. I didn't use any disrespect, disrespectful names, direction, voice. I said President Biden. So it was fine. Didn't get in any sort of trouble with it. So I think if you maintain respect, decency, clear language, remain objective and try and pull emotion out of it. I think that's where maybe yeah. some of us cross the line. And then someone on the other side of that device is like, nah, I don't like it. Right. Like, and again, these, yeah. this is just the way it is now. Right. We have to be careful about this stuff. It's, it's not ideal. And I'm, I certainly don't support it, but it is what it is. So you have to adapt. So just be respectful, be tactful, think a little bit more. You can still say what you want to say, but just find the appropriate way to say it. And that way you kind of toe the line without crossing it. And then you could still, you know, voice what it is and get the point across that you wanted to get across without necessarily offending people. Ruffling feathers is one thing. And look, we're in sensitive times. It's impossible not to ruffle someone's feathers. In fact, right. if you're not ruffling people's feathers, you're probably too much of a people pleaser. So you should yeah. rethink how you say things anyways. But yeah. hurting people and offending people, that's different. There's a there's yeah. a big difference there. So just understand that. And then I think you'll 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 find your cadence with it. Yeah, because even brought it up, right? You're being objective and you're giving an opinion. We've lost our yeah. right to give an opinion on something now, or well, you can have an Come opinion, on, man. Yeah, be the right opinion. You know, it just doesn't make any sense. It's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. It's nuts, man. So uh, earlier we had brought up, um, and I think this is a good time to to kind of plug it in that you've seen a lot of change since you moved to Frisco. Can you name some of those things specifically that you've seen really shift since you've been there? Yeah. And we've got a big piece of content coming out on this later in the week, you know, and it might, it might ruffle a few feathers. In fact, I'm sure it will. But, you know, like I said, when I first moved out here, this was one of the places where if you said hello to somebody in the elevator or on the, on public transport or, uh, it, you know, just in passing, it might lead to one of the most interesting conversations you've had in a long time. Like yeah. it was that open of a space. And yeah. I experienced so much growth and, kind of, you know, more worldly dynamic expansion of my views on things from living here because it's a huge melting pot, right? It's one of the most European cities, if not the most European feeling city in the United States. But over time, you know, because it has, it has basically expressed so much empathy and so much compassion, which there's nothing wrong with. It. I'm not saying there is anything wrong with that, but it's like raising a spoiled brat with so much love up until the age of 21. And then you decide at that point you want to discipline them. It's too late. And I think that's what has yeah. happened to San Francisco now. You know, a lot of policy and a lot of empathy, you know, with no checks and balances attached to it, the chickens have come home to roost on it. And you see it. And this isn't me being negative towards the city. I love this place and I, I want the best for it because I remember what it was. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, it, you know, you've got businesses that are moving out. You've got malls that are closing, hotels that are giving the keys back to the bank because they're like, we can't hack it. Like, these are real things that are happening. That's not exaggerated. Some people try and cover it. Even the mayor here will sometimes say, no, 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 retail is changing. That's why these, you know, Nordstrom is not, you know, renewing their lease and Saks Fifth Avenue is leaving and Barney's left and Neiman Marcus might close up. No, retail is not changing in a general sense. Retail is changing here because laws aren't being enforced because the environment is not safe and nobody mm -hmm. wants to shut. I used to bring my wife down into the city because we live up in Marin, just north of San Francisco. 
We used to come into the city on Sundays and go to Union Square and get brunch, walk around, have coffee, shop a bit. I haven't done that since the beginning of the pandemic because it's just not safe. I don't feel safe bringing her. Now I have two two children. Like I'm not going to do it, you know. Yeah. And there's a lot of tourists and people that feel that way. And I think that's sad. That's not being critical. That's just that's just a sad statement. So it's changed. They're going to be. I mean, they're really faced with some tough decisions now, you know. And I don't know if they have the stomach for it. It might take a total shakeup of new leadership, which I would actually be in favor of. Like just clean the slate and start fresh and bring mm-hmm. some new ideas because. It's insanity to keep having the same types of policies in place when all when everything is crumbling and falling apart and you're doing nothing about it, but basically instituting the same types of ideas or presenting them. So that's the state of San Francisco right now, unfortunately. Yeah, that's, that's sad to hear. And I saw the same thing happen in L.A. because I moved. Uh, oh, right big time. The, yeah, about a year after the pandemic started and we were still locked down. I decided to move. I was like, you know what? I can't take this anymore. And. Uh, like you said, yeah. you, you you've bit off, you've bit your tongue so much you have no tongue left, and it's like, what am I going to do here? And I got to the point where personally, I felt like a caged animal in a way. I was like, man, I can't even, yeah. I can't say what I want to say. I can't even go to the store anymore because I'm being stopped by you know uh, police officers saying, what are you doing? You're supposed to be home. And I'm like, what is this? Like, am I a free person in a free country, yeah. or like, what's going on? Like, I remember going to the office, I would get stopped, and the cops like, no, you got to go back home. I'm like, dude, I'm going to work. Like, what do you mean? I'm going from my home to my office. Like, I'm not, you know, going for leisure. I'm going to work. And like, no, you can't. I'm like, what do you mean I can't? Like, there's no law saying I can't go to work. And I'd go to work anyway. But just this, that, that mentality, right? And that like hysteria, to me, it it, it became like almost- what it is. Yeah, like infectious, you know, to where I'm like, I don't want to plug into it, but everything and everyone is plugging into it. This is like a bad movie that I'm a part of that I don't want to participate in. You know what I mean? And it just, it got to be too much. Sheep mentality, right? Like we aren't sheep, but- the majority of people were that would just kind of comply with so many things. And look, you know, they would always say that everything's in the name of science. It's in the name of the law. It's in the name of this. Look, it's also science to have evolved opinions and to have ongoing discussion, which is all yeah. people like you and me would actually bring about. Like, let's keep yeah. talking about this. Like, it's okay to question things. It's okay to evolve, right? Like there were scientists that said it's science. The world is flat. The conversation didn't clearly end there hundreds of years yeah. ago, right? Like it evolved. Yeah. And then eventually they arrived at a different conclusion. So it is science to actually evolve and keep talking about things, but everyone was made to feel bad during that time. So yeah, Brian, I'm, you know, LA was, was and remains from what I hear a very tough place still. And some of it like San Francisco, I don't know how it's going to recover. Like it's gotten so far out of hand, unfortunately. And these were beautiful places. LA, it's one of the most beautiful sought after places to live in the world. It was incredible, right? Like you lived there for a reason. You liked it at one point, you loved it. And now it's very different. And this place is kind of the same, sadly. So Interesting times ahead. But is there something like in, in the scope of what you're doing for the next like three to five years, you're looking at your business and the model and like what you guys do. Is there any like major shifts or changes you're making in, you know, looking at what's happening with the city and what's happening in San Francisco in general? Just bringing about more awareness, continuing to talk about these things because it is sparking up a lot of conversation. And then I'm finding, you know, over time that there's so many more like-minded people that are coming to me, you know, that I'm building community with. They're like, look, man, I, I agree. You know, like I'm totally with you on what you're saying. I just, you know, I've never had the balls to either say it or the courage to speak up because I might get fired from my job or what. I mean, like it is crazy. The, the boxes that people are put into and they feel like there's no way out. But so I think just continuing to talk about things, creating open dialogue, open discussion, again, not being, not necessarily being critical, but just discussing because 
We're never going to get anywhere if everyone just stays quiet and just accepts the status quo, because it is that status quo that got us into the place right now. So we're going to need to talk about things. So I'm continuing to have conversations, putting on events that are around real estate, but where we talk about these things. And now I don't even have to necessarily put it out so much. I'm already kind of thought of as that guy. He's the guy who talks about stuff that's not just related to mortgage products and interest rates Mm -hmm. and the Fed. He talks about how this is going to have impact on the yeah. business community and what mm-hmm. looming commercial mortgage banking crisis is on the horizon or whatever is actually happening and tying it all together because that's that's the kind of the way I think anyways. It's in the big picture always and that much of life exists mm-hmm. in the gray. Things are not so black and white. Like there's a lot of space to think and be creative in. And I bring that same mm-hmm. approach to you know business, the conversations I'm having, the people I serve, yeah. the strategies we bring to the marketplace and that's it. Yeah. You know, one thing you brought up earlier that I love that like I do this myself and I emphasize a lot with people, especially like in our space is being chatty, right? Going out and talking to people and making connections, right? Like I, you know, within months of moving to Miami, like I'd already met like a ton of business owners, right? And, And like knew everybody in downtown, found a venue for my coaching program, which is a beautiful rooftop in South Beach because I met the owner of that business and they opened it up for us, right? And I've seen how kind of important that is and pivotal and growing your brand and just growing in general, right? Is that something that you developed as you got into this industry or is that just your personality type and you've been like that like 100% from day one? Yeah, it's it's how I've been. I've been wired that way and then I've always kind of like taken more steps with it. You know, like being in martial arts, I had the, you know, at a young age start leading classes yeah. because I got yeah. my rank very early. So, yeah. you know, I was a black belt at the age of 11 so at 10 years old, when I was a red belt, because part of your requirements of obtaining a black belt is to lead classes. So I would have to stand in front of a class of 40 or 50 people, most of them adults at the age of 10 and like lead, like lead them through a warm up, And that would yeah. be a little nerve wracking. But <laughs> my instructor at the time, like he was doing that to develop a, a bunch of us young men. We were all around the same age at the same time and place in our martial arts career because he was trying to develop us. So there would be these moments, you know, I sold, this is going to date me, but Many, much of your audience may or may not even know this. I sold Amway when I was in high school. If you know about the Amway wow. business, the Amway yeah. business was like multi-level marketing, but it was a legit business. It was not a scam. It was, you know, approved by the Federal Trade Commission, but it got a yeah. really bad name because there were so many businesses like Amway that would go down or get busted. I sold Amway as a senior in high school. I would do presentations in people's living rooms. I'd get laughed at, but it taught me a lot. In fact, yeah. it taught me more than probably anything else I learned in business school. Martial arts and selling Amway taught me not to be afraid, that it's all about reps, that you just keep trying, that disappointment and rejection is going to be part of it. But it's not about that. You just think about, you know, did I improve today? Did my presentation get sharper? Was I able to handle things better? And then eventually the wins and the success will come. So it's all these things that have kind of led me up to the point that I'm at now. But I was always extroverted, always social. And I just think, you know, like the one hand you shake or the one person you reach out to, or the one chance you take, the one DM, right? Let's bring it forth now into the, in the technical age, the one DM you send could be life-changing. And uh, so just do it. Don't hold back. Yeah, I love that, man. And, you know, I've, I've run into, and when, even when I look back at like my YouTube and a lot yeah. of stuff that I've put out, anytime I put out like a video or anything around this subject, right? Like extrovert, introvert, got to get out there, talk to people, right? Be more vocal. I seem to get a ton or a big influx of messages where people say, well, I'm not like you, Arjun. I'm not an extrovert, right? I didn't have the martial arts experience. And, and they asked me for advice, 
right? So is there is there something that you would recommend to these people from your point of view to help them with that? Because this seems to be like one of the most touchy subjects to most people when they message me. Yeah, I think, Brian, there's no real secret sauce, brother. And you know this too. It's it's just reps. You just have to try. And people are like, oh, when I'm going to like create content and stuff, I'm going to suck. Yes, you will. Everybody sucks at first. You just embrace that and know that your first product is not your final product, right? Like if I look back at the videos and the content I created six years ago and I got started in this, I don't even know if I could sit through and watch it all. Like it would be that uncomfortable. And that's me saying it as an extrovert. So I'm telling you, like, you're never really fully comfortable with what it is you said or how you said it. It's constantly evolving, right? It's like fashion. You look back like two years ago, like I wore stuff like that. Yeah, you did. And at the time it was okay, but it evolved. And you may not be comfortable looking at it, but at that time you were comfortable in the moment. It may not have been perfect and it may not have been, you know, able to stand the test of time, which it clearly doesn't because things change, but it evolved. So my advice would be, don't take yourself too seriously. Embrace the fact that it's not going to be perfect. Things are always better done than perfect. Always just get things done, get your reps. You know, when you've put out a, when you put out a hundred plus pieces of content, whether it's video or writing or any type of sharing, you'll find some cadence and figure it out. But in the beginning, you're not going to know it. So the only way you're going to kind of gain footing and traction is by throwing a bunch of stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. And in that process, yes, some things will be uncomfortable. Yes, some things will suck. Yes, some things will be like, I can't believe I said that or did that. I can't even stand the way I look. It's all part of it. Everyone's been there. But on the other side of all that discomfort and anxiety is where the success is going to be. Because if this was easy, starting a brand, being online, marketing, putting yourself out there, if it was easy, again, just like the old, you know, the old cliche, everyone would do it. But it's not. It's not meant to be easy. It's a journey. It's a process. So just accept that and commit to it. And I think uh, you'll find that the curve is not as steep. I love it, man. I got one more question for you before we wrap up. And we're definitely yeah, going to do a second episode, man, because we can go forever. I have so much more I want to ask you. Yeah. When you were starting out in the industry, I know you probably did it with Amway and all that, but specifically when you got into the mortgage industry, when you started out, especially, did you do a lot of like the old school stuff, the cold calling, the door knocking and all that type of stuff? Or did Big you never time. do it? No, I did. Yeah. I mean, this was, you know, yeah. 2001 when I got started, it was a lot of door knocking, handing out my business card everywhere I could, leaving it in yeah. people's inside their screen door. I would just go like drop it in, in neighborhoods yeah. and I'd have on the back yeah. written on my card. If you need to refinance anytime, call me. I didn't even know what I was doing, but I just knew it was yeah. a numbers game and I wanted to contact as many people. So I did a lot of that stuff. Yeah. Uh, and the fundamentals don't change the mediums in which we do these fundamentals is what evolves. So I can do yeah. the same thing. I can still knock on doors. I just do it digitally now, right? Yeah. I just use my phone to do it. I can scale reaching a thousand people in a week directly or several hundred as opposed to knocking on doors or mailing out. So the fundamentals are the same. We just do it a little bit differently and you get a little bit sharper with it. But I did all those things in the beginning because you got to sing for your supper. You got to earn your place at the table. Everybody does. We all got to pay our dues. We're still doing it, right? The work is never done. But yeah, Brian, I did a lot of those. I did all that stuff for them. Mailers, you know, cold calling, starting a call center, calling off of scripts, you know, like imagine the boiler room. That's what our office looked like. A bunch of guys just sitting around yeah. phones like, you all did it. And uh, those were those were all stepping stones yeah. and building blocks in the business. Yeah, I love it, man. Yeah, I always got to ask, right? Because people are always hitting me up like, oh, yeah. how can I not? How can I skip that? How can I not ever do it? I'm like, dude, you got to do it. You got to earn your stripes, right? Everybody does. Look, you're going to go to the gym. You're going to go to the gym and it's going to suck, right? But no one's going to give up. Well, you shouldn't. A lot of people do give up. There's a reason why gym memberships explode during New Year's resolutions times. But by March, they return down their same normal 
client uh, numbers. It's because people just give up. They're like, ah, you know, I went to the gym a couple of times last month. My body didn't change. I don't look, I'm not as ripped as Brian. So I'm not going to do this anymore. You know, I'm going to just quit and turn in my, turn in my membership. No, that doesn't happen overnight. It's reps. It's a lot of commitment. It's a lot of lifestyle changes and other things that you have to do. This is one component of it, but it takes a long, long, you know, a long, long line of effort and commitment in order to get there and, and evolve with it. So recognize that anything that's in the personal growth space, whether you're building a brand, creating a voice online, whatever it is that you're doing, going to the gym, training for something, starting a business, it all involves the long game. There's no instant gratification. There's no magic purple pill. You've got to suffer through it. You got to do the reps. You got to, you know, grind and you learn over time, but that's also part of the, part of the enjoying the enjoyment in all this too. Amen. Love it, man. I really appreciate you coming on, bro. So if someone listens to this and wants to reach out to you, what's the best method to shoot you a Instagram, DM or definitely. get a hold of you? Yeah, always shoot me a DM. I love I love connecting with people and collaborating on their talking life or, you know, what's going on in cities or business or marketing mm -hmm. or just creating friendship and connection. You know, it's how you and I got started, brother, and I'm grateful for the friendship. So reach out to me that way. Our June underscore mortgage uh on uh on instagram and i look forward to keeping in touch with people oh man yeah you guys uh yeah i met him at the event that uh we put together a couple of years ago in vegas with like tom ferry and uh gene yeah. uh billy gene right the marketing guy billy was really gene, cool yeah event. yeah it was a great uh, event great yeah event. definitely give him a follow check him out right these guys are amazing and we've kept in touch and we've been going back and forth and we're definitely going to collaborate more in the future in regards to events and stuff like that so maybe this next uh, trip i make to california i'll swing up to frisco and, and spend a day with you man likewise and i'll be in miami in uh september so i'll let you know when i get out so that i make sure i come see you for sure all right man thanks for coming on oh, thanks brother